Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, team, for leading us this morning. Well, we are continuing this weekend in our study of the book of Revelation. And for 16, 17 weeks, we're learning to embrace the wonder that is the book of Revelation. And there's, there's much to wonder about. There's so much confusion around this book. And uh, what is it really about? And what does it tell us about the future? And we want to p- unpack that together step by step, but there's no way we're going to be able to answer all the questions. And so um, our team's developed a resource page that you can go to and just want to remind you about that this weekend. Maybe if you're trying to dig in a little bit deeper in your own uh, time with Jesus, or maybe as a small group in your kind of circle life, you're, you're looking for uh, something to, to study together or to look at together. There's podcasts, there's other articles, um, there's commentary options, and uh, that'll help us all just grow deeper in our understanding of God's truth. And so check that out, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but this summer, uh, Lisa and I, we found ourselves uh, binge-watching a little bit of Netflix. You know, you tend to stay up later in the summer months, even though you still got to get up the next day and work. I don't know. Why is it that we do this to ourselves? But we do. And, and we're actually re-watching um, a series, and it's crazy because we've watched the series before, like, and we know how it ends, and yet it's intriguing again. I was thinking about just whatever it is, a movie, a a series, a a story, a good book. The one thing that most all of those things will have in common is this, uh, this tension, right, between good and bad. Uh, The good guy versus the bad guy. Uh, the, the hope and the thing that somebody is going after or chasing after that we're all rooting for them in, and then the resistance, right? When you think about it, the whole story of history and really the storyline of the Bible is one of a cosmic good versus evil tension. We know in Genesis chapter 2, God creates everything, and he steps back and he says, it's all good. Everything was good. And, and yet, something tragic happens. Sin enters the world, and everything goes awry. And even though we know the end of the story, when we turn to the last pages of the book of Revelation, we see God restoring all things good, as they should be. But We're living in the middle. We're here in 2021, and things don't always feel good. Yeah, there's good in the world, and we witness good in the world, and hopefully we're some of the do-gooders in the world. But if we're honest, we also see a lot of evil and destruction, right? And some of us in this room, we've been touched personally by evil, or destruction, we've been scammed, or, or there's been abuse, whatever it might be. And I think deep down inside of us, whether we've ever, ever like prayed it or said it out loud, all of us can resonate with what the psalmist cried out in Psalm 13, verses 1 to 2. David's praying here, he says, Oh Lord, how long... How long will you forget me? Forever? He goes on, he says, how long will you look the other way? Like, God, aren't you seeing 
All this stuff going on in the world that's a mess. Evil prevailing. There's no justice. And he prays, how long must I struggle with anguish in my heart? In my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day. How long, he says, will my enemy have the upper hand? How long, O oh Lord? And if we're honest, all of us have felt that. Whether we are willing to admit it or not, we've thought it, we've felt it. Well, the powerful thing is, in Revelation chapter 6 and 7, God begins to answer that question. How long? Until he does something about it. Well, 6 and 7 of Revelation begins God unleashing his judgment upon all the evil in the world. Last weekend, we were in chapter 4 and 5, and we, there was this incredibly powerful worship scene. And the question that is posed in chapter 4 and 5 is, is there anybody worthy to open the scroll, this scroll that uh, the Father was holding, and someone needed to be found worthy to open it, to unseal it, to open up the rest of the future and all the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they would be fulfilled and what was yet to come. And was anyone worthy? And we discovered there was. There finally was one worthy, Jesus himself. And that's where we enter the story of Revelation chapter 6 and 7. It says, as I watch, John is gaining this revelation into heaven and into the future. And it says, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked up, and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed upon his head, and he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. This is the first of the four horsemen mentioned of the apocalypse. This is end times. This is God's judgment, again, being unleashed. And while we might read this text and go, well, it seems like this, this is the good guy, right? I mean, he's riding in on a white horse. Like, and actually, in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus does ride in on a white horse. But most commentators believe that this is an antichrist. This is a, what Jesus warned about in Matthew chapter 24, that there, there would be many that would come, many false prophets and deceivers to lead people astray from the true gospel, longing for people to put their hope in, in them, in him, and leading people far from God, promising peace and, and victory, like just come with me, just join our team, just be on our side, and you're going to be okay. And, and the Bible says that many people will be deceived and follow. And that's this first horse that is mentioned that John sees. But the story goes on because this, this first one promises peace, but immediately, almost, it turns to war. That's Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. It says this, When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard a second living being say, Come. And then another horse appeared, this time a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and authority to take peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. 
A red horse with a rider with a giant sword can only mean one thing. Destruction. War. You know, we're familiar with war. In fact, this weekend as we celebrate our independence, it's freedom that came as a result of war. It says that there are some things that are worth fighting for, but this war that's about to be unleashed upon the earth as John sees it is going to be, bring mass devastation. People that thought they were safe and living in peace and following a false prophet will, will go to war and ultimately be destroyed. So there's war and there's slaughter absolutely everywhere. That's the second, second rider, and that's what happens when Jesus opens the second seal on the scroll. Well, the, well, the, the text goes on, and John says, And when the Lamb broke the third seal, I saw a third living being say, Come. And I looked up, and this time he saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. It says, and I heard a voice from among the four living beings say this, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and the wine. Oftentimes when there is war, what follows is devastation and famine. And I think that's what this writer represents, a famine that will sweep across the land that God will use as judgment upon the earth. Now, we complain about $3 a gallon gas prices. <laughs> Can you imagine paying a whole day's wage for a loaf of bread? Now, I mean, I don't know what that means to you. Let's just go, I mean, thanks to Cedar Point, like I know 14-year-old boys that are friends of my son that are making 20 bucks an hour. Like, Wow. <laughs> You take that, a day's wages, eight hours, that's 160. Can you imagine paying $160 for a loaf of bread? It just shows how, how there will be such a vast food shortage and insecurity. And then what happens when people don't have the basic elements that they need in life? People go crazy. It gets chaotic. People start rib robbing one another, fighting and so not only is there already this vast war that's happening in this time frame, but there's this famine that is causing so much loss, so much destruction, so much chaos. Well, John goes on in verse 7, it says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. And I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. This, this horse that John sees now is, is pale green, the color of decomposing flesh. It represents death, the grave, and hell itself. And it says this, this rider and his companions... They were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. I mean, you talk about war and death. We, we glaze over that, one-fourth of the earth. 
just put that into today's terms. If this happened today, there's nearly 8 mil- billion people on the face of the planet. That means two, close to 2 billion people would be wiped out by this war. So the, these, these first riders of the apocalypse, these first few seals are nothing but deception, destruction, devastation, and death. That's why there's almost a, like we need a breath. (laughs) There needs to be something else. And John looks again and it says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Now, these were, these were people that had given their lives because of their faith, facing such persecution that if they claimed to know Jesus, others would attack them and take their lives. And yet they continued to believe and have faith. That's what a martyr is, someone that dies because of their faith. Verse 10, it says, and it says that they're under the altar, and it says in verse 10, they shouted to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. And look at their question. How long? How long? It's the same question that David was crying out to God. It's the same question that's deep within our souls. Like, how long, God, until you fix this? How long until you make things right? And these martyrs, they're crying out for vengeance because they've given their life. See, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and you avenge our blood for what they have done to us? How long? Now the text goes on to say, God says, just hold on a little while longer until the rest of those that will give their life will join you. And then it says God clothed them with with white robes, honoring them for their sacrifice. And what, what this fifth seal tells me is that God sees it. When you stand for your faith, when when you're persecuted, when you're made fun of, when you don't get the promotion because you're trying to live out the life of Christ and be a person of integrity and character, God sees it. And he will reward you and vengeance is his. What we face in this life that comes at us because of our faith will not go unpunished. That ought to breed hope in us. A deeper sense of trust that God, he does see it all and he does care. And what Revelation chapter 6 and 7 says is God is going to do something about it. He's going to make things right. Well, then John turns his attention and in in verse 12 it says, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake It says the sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. And then the stars of the sky, they fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by the strong wind. And the sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. I mean, 
Guys, this is not a little shaky shake from the local quarry that you felt sometimes. This is a cataclysmic, cosmic earthquake that changes everything that is felt by everyone and causes even more mass destruction. Oftentimes in the Bible, thunder is, uh, is, is connected with judgment. Earthquakes, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, there are going to be earthquakes and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus predicted that all this would happen. And now in the book of Revelation, Jesus is giving John a window into the future of what is yet to come. And you know what? It is frightening. It is serious. It is scary. It's sobering. And it's meant to be. It ought to be. And this massive earthquake, like no other, is affecting the whole world. And look at verses 15 and following. It says this. And then everyone, just, I mean, everyone. And then he tells us who the everyone is. He says, even the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, and everybody in between, it says, they all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And it says, they cried to the mountains and the rocks. This, is, this astounds me. They, they don't cry out to God, the one that's unleashing the judgment. They don't cry out to him for mercy. No, they cry out to the inanimate objects, the rocks, the cliffs, and they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And verse 11 says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? These verses are reminding us that no one will escape God's ultimate judgment unless, and we'll get to that in a moment. And this question is posed at the end of the passage, who is able to survive? Some versions of the Bible say, who will be able to stand? And the implied answer is nobody. This judgment that is being unleashed is so fierce that people are crying out for rocks to bury them alive so that they don't have to face the fierce judgment of God. Listen, if, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this should be a fearful thing. We're not, a, we're not a fire and brimstone church, but we are a truth church. And this is part of God's truth. And it's a warning. It was a warning to the seven churches that Jesus was originally writing to, and it's a warning, a wake-up call to you and I. And just as these other four angels are about to even unleash more devastation upon the earth in chapter 7, this is what it says, wait. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. God stops everything and says, hold up, hold up. 
And, and he places a seal upon those that serve him. We don't know if this is, was, is a physical, tangible thing. This is, this is different than the mark of the beast that we'll read about later in the book of Revelation. But this is a way that God is going to mark his faithful servants. And while it might not protect their physical life, it will protect their souls. And he goes on to say, and I've heard how many, and I heard how many were marked with this seal, 144,000. And there's about 144,000 interpretations of what the 144,000 are. But, but John actually tells us in this revelation, he says they were sealed from the tribes of Israel. Again, we don't know for certain what this means, but it seems that these were Jewish people that had finally put their faith in Christ, perhaps during the tribulation. And now God was using them as his servants, as his witnesses in the world. Or perhaps these were Jewish believers of old that Jesus resurrected and sent into the tribulation in order to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus, that there's still hope, that there's still mercy in the midst of judgment and devastation and death. And then John turns his attention. He says, I, I saw, and then I saw a vast crowd, a crowd too great to count, way more than the 144,000. It's like John is seeing again what he saw in chapter 4 and 5 in this powerful worship scene where it says that hundreds and thousands and billions of angels were worshiping around the throne and the 24 elders. And joining them now is this vast crowd, every nation, every tribe, every people group. This is why we go to Guatemala. This is why we go to Burundi. This is why we serve in India because God's heart is for the nations that all people would have a chance to escape this doom. <laughs> and he says they were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes, and they held branches in their hands. And the scene is one of powerful worship, like we saw in chapter 4 and 5, where everybody's just overwhelmed, and they're falling down before God, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And somebody asks, Who, who, who are these people? And then they answer their own question. These are the ones, he says, who died in the great tribulation. For they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. Now that makes no sense. Blood stains things. Just, just last week, my brother-in-law and our nephews and my sister-in-law, they were in town. Uh, one of the boys had a baseball tournament over at Sports Force, and so they hung out with us a lot. And... Uh, he was telling me about another guy and his family that was with their group on this baseball team, and they went to their hotel, and about three hours later, they finally got into their fourth room that was actually clean and ready. Like, it's crazy out there. There's, people are having, I mean, it's hard to find good workers. Um, everybody's short-staffed. There, there was no, at this particular hotel, the whole weekend, they didn't even have, they had no washcloths. <laughs> but the... One of the rooms that they went to after there was a problem in this room and then there was a problem in this room, one of the rooms, they pulled back the sheets. There was blood on the sheets. Blood stains. But not Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood actually cleanses. 
And that's the picture here. He says these ones that were faithful, that died in the midst of the tribulation, they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and it's made them white. White represents purity, dignity. They've been washed clean. And look at, look at the result. He says, and he who sits on the throne, he will give them. Who? Who's the them? The them that had given their lives. The, the them that had been forgiven, that had paid, placed their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. To them, he says, that he will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty in the midst of all the famine that, that John has just been writing about. He says, They'll never again be hungry or thirsty. They'll never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. God will make it right. We're living in the middle we feel the tension every day of good and evil, and it's not just out there, it's in us. And this, this, this passage ought to strike fear for those that don't know Jesus yet. You guys, this is why we exist as a church, to help every single person take one step closer to God and each other through Christ. Why? Because we don't want anybody to have to face this. And the only way to escape that, regardless of what you believe about the end times, many people believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation, the great tribulation even begins. There's other scholars, theologians, people that love Jesus, that believe that the church will go through that, that tribulation period of time. Listen, either way, what matters is, is your robe been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you found forgiveness of your sins through Jesus the Christ who gave up his life, who shed his blood so that we can find hope and forgiveness and be restored to a right relationship with God so that no matter what, though judgment is coming, the Bible says, yet there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the book of Revelation, it's, it's getting deep, and it's getting ugly, and it's getting hard. And yet in the midst of that, there's still hope. Remember, it was because they had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and it made them white. So if we turn to Jesus today, if you're a Christ follower today, if you're a servant of God today, you have the, the seal of God on your forehead. And you've been clothed in the righteousness. The Bible says, Jesus, he, be, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. So that we might be found in his shelter. So that he might protect us so that he might lead us to springs of ever-living water, so that he might one day wipe every tear from our eyes. How long, O oh Lord? It's coming.
when you came in today, hopefully you received a little communion element. And if, if you didn't, just raise up a hand 